And it's the Meg John and Justin <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Yay! Hello. <laughs> I took a gap there. Did you see? Yeah, oh, yeah, gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, last week we did the breaths and the slowing down, and today we're doing the. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, today's about anger, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, so maybe a lot of deep breaths. <laughs> deep breaths. I mean, I wouldn't say that we were angry. We might get angry, but um, but before that, hello, dear listener, welcome Howdy. to our podcast. We are the Meg John and Justin podcast, as we were just introduced. We chat about sex, relationships, our relationships to ourselves. Yeah, it's pretty broad. Feelings. Today we're doing feelings. Anger. Well, it's feelings. We're doing yeah. anger as part of our subset of feelings-related content, I guess. Yeah. So I've forgotten which which feelings we've done. We did joy, didn't we? Mm. Did we do sadness? Ooh, maybe we didn't. I think we're thinking of doing grief and sadness, aren't we? We've done a general staying yeah. with feelings one, I think. We've done a general yeah. one about feelings um, and joy. Have we done jealousy? That would make sense for us, but I'm also not sure if we've done that. We have done jealousy. Yeah, we have. Okay, great. I think we, we might argue, I think I might have argued that jealousy mm. isn't a feeling, but a Ooh. set of feelings. Whoa. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> but that's yeah, possibly the case. <laughs> but also I think we said that it doesn't really matter to artificially delineate between a thought and a feeling. Mm. If it feels like a feeling, it's a feeling, I suppose. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> anyway you can check out our previous listener. work on feelings if you like, uh, but we're going to, yeah, right. we've, we've got a few coming up. I think we should do a grief and sadness and loneliness would also make sense at this time. We did. Yeah. Uh, the slowness uh, podcast that we were just referring to, uh, you can find it on our Patreon feed podcast. So we have a Patreon where you can sign up from just one dollar a month uh, to listen to our other feed as well. So we do uh, four podcasts a month usually, and half of them are on Patreon, half are on here. So if you enjoy this, please sign up to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Meg John and Justin, and sign up to hear all of our content we also did like two hours on masturbating and an excellent episode on trust i really enjoyed Ooh, that yeah episode. the trust one was good really useful. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so today we are doing one about anger mm. um oh i've just got rid of my notes bring my notes back here we go <laughs> um so um i guess we're like still in the middle of uh, COVID-19. If you're listening to this in the future, COVID-19 was this awful <laughs> virus. <laughs> Imagine some, really point bad. A, some point in the future where people have forgotten. <laughs> they probably won't because yeah. the way that we're dealing with pandemics and the way that we're dealing with uh, the earth and the, the climate means that we're going to have uh, more pandemics, probably. Yeah. So, but if you're you like know a, that, f- a future species that have... Uh, <laughs> come to occupy the earth and you've found one of our podcasts <laughs> yeah often. and you're trying to well, figure out what humans were all about then then well done for landing on us if you're listening <laughs> or if you're human listening in the future and you're like uh you know of course we know what pandemics are we have just everything is pandemics now because we didn't break with neoliberalism when we really should have mm. well this is like the first of them <laughs> yes uh <laughs> first of the really right big now. ones yeah yeah okay so um so yeah we're and i think for both of us we've been feeling um angry about uh 
our government's response. We live in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I'm also angry about how America's dealing with it as well, mm-hmm. um, because of all the, the the deaths that seem to be I don't know okay for these right-wing governments who think that they want to prioritise the, the economy, economy over health, yeah. not realising that health is the economy. Um, you can't just separate off the economy from everything else. Yeah. Um, so, which they think that you can. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that we're, that we're kind of feeling angry about, and I guess that's something that we um, just wanted to bring up mm. at the beginning, that we're both feeling angry all the time, aren't we? I'm feeling angry a lot, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not all the time, but mm. yeah, I'm feeling angry a lot. Yeah. And I think a lot of my anger comes from, again, we're going to talk about this, this is what the episode is, but we're just checking in with current events and how I feel mm. at the moment. But, like, a lot of mine is, like, I feel like a sense of powerlessness mm. and <clears throat> I get really angry when I just see um, Tories lying, um, which they seem to be doing all of the time and it's brazen mm. and also getting angry that um we're, that most of our media are just so supine and just lap it all up yeah like uh, on the day when um we we had that we recorded the most deaths in europe despite the fact that we could have taken more steps to prevent it like other countries did because we had greater um we could see what was happening in Italy like three weeks before it was happening here, that when we recorded the most deaths, um, the newspapers the next day splashed on the story that uh, the uh, leading scientist from Imperial College at Sage was um, had um, his lover over to his house, not his lover, his partner, mm. I think he's poly or open, yeah. uh, over to his house to, for... Well, we don't even know whether they had sex, but just uh, he had someone come over to his house and you're not supposed to do that. It's like, there are bigger news stories than this. But, I think that's, uh, and that one speaks to what I'm more angry about because I've been dealing with a lot of trauma through this time. And that's particularly brings you up against feelings of shame, which I'll talk about mm. later as well. I think the things that are particularly angering me are what we've spoken about on a couple of podcasts around how are the individualizing of this stuff Mm. how it's like individuals ashamed and called out and cancelled rather than a sense of the system that's at fault and i i feel that i mean in the midst of all of this there's been yet another horrible trans kind of media thing where the 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 government's now um you know particularly unsupportive around um the needs of trans people and some demonizing of trans people yet again um and that sort of sense of the way um, the blame and shame culturally gets lodged on particular groups um, and, and often the groups that are the most marginalised and the most at risk um, is really infuriating to me. Um, and the social media attacks on trans folks just never seem to end. Mm-mm. Like, we're in the middle of a pandemic where people are dying and yeah. transphobia has... has so it's certainly not gone away. You would think that people would pe- that people might have other yeah other things to worry about or other things to get upset about, but no, this is the thing. Yeah, which is speaks to kind of scapegoating and you know all of the mm. ways I guess that people manage fear and manage their own shame mm. by putting it onto other people and scapegoating certain groups. But um, it's when you feel it so viscerally, I think um, 
seeing how that's done to you and how that's done to other people and the impact that it has when you talk to other trans folks for example or other survivors if we're talking about me too mm. it's um just really very angry well, it's relevant it's very angering mm. i mean that's also like relevant to the um neoliberalism episode yeah. that we did recently which is where people think that there's only that where people think there's a scarcity of rights mm -hmm. then people will um uh discriminate against another group in order that they think that they can have because they want to fight for their rights mm -hmm. uh first and that's that kind of um scarcity model of there's only so much pie yeah. of rights to go around and trans people aren't deserving of those rights at the moment it's like I, I hate it. Yeah, absolutely. I hate it. I hate it. it makes well, me incredibly angry. There's a, yeah, there's a good piece in The Atlantic I was reading this morning around how other governments are a lot sort of saying, oh, this is not the time to be talking about gender equality. This is not the time to be mm. talking about race, you know, when, when it's clear that um, black and minority ethnic people are dying far more than white people proportionally. Um, yeah, this kind of rhetoric of, oh, that whole, that whole political correctness thing that we were doing before this all happened, or that whole identi identity politics thing, you know, we need to wipe that out because we've got bigger fish to fry as if it's not all completely interconnected, um, the injustice. And, and, the same, and the same about climate as well. Like, we shouldn't be talking about yeah. climate change because of this as if it's not completely interrelated. Completely interrelated. <sighs> so, so yeah. we won't go into all of the political issues, but, you know, we are, like, at the moment, I'm feeling angry, mm. um, and it's kind of uh, it's seething. I wouldn't say I'm raging. I wouldn't say I'm furious. I wouldn't say I'm doing anything which is angry, apart from. But again, we'll talk about this. Is that, and we'll talk about this later. Is that anger fuels me at the moment? Yeah. Like anger is one of the things that is really that's driving any kind of work that I do. And I know it sounds. I don't want to sound pompous, but um, because essentially i do a podcast with you and then i run a website for young people and i'm not in the world i'm not trying you know i'm making a very very small contribution to trying to um to try to fight for the injustices that are making so many of us angry mm. but that is one of the things that i can do and i think a lot of people are feeling that at the moment i think probably a lot of people are volunteering mm. um for the nhs uh and anger is fueling that or donating to food banks, anger fuels that, or um, yeah. uh, sharing things or writing things or um, campaigning for things, campaigning for injustice that anger fuels that. And I think that's one of the, mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the responses to it is that we, it's that it's an energy that we can tap into. Absolutely. Um, but there's a difference between noticing our anger and feeling anger in the background as this force to tap into and reacting being angry in a reactive way well, exactly like yeah being um, aggressive or violent so this is the first kind of bit that we'll talk about so mm. let's just set out the podcast as yeah. we uh, uh, at the beginning so we, because we've got a lot to go <laughs> it's through it's gonna so, be a long one guys buckle up it's a long one <laughs> yeah so we're going to talk about the differences between um mm. reacting and non-reacting anger yeah that there's like uh, what people might react in an angry way, but there's a difference between that and the anger we were just talking about, which is like ongoing kind of anger. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna talk about the importance of being with it mm -hmm. uh, and allowing for it and making space for it. We'll again talk about uh, one of our favorite films, Inside Out. Yes. Um, and then we're gonna talk about um, how that can be used like politically mm -hmm. um, and uh, and how we channeling that anger uh, into um, 
into non-violent movements and politically is really, really important. Yeah. Um, MJ, do you want to take over here for the... So there's, yeah, um, I, I kind of want to talk a lot about anger in and anger out um, because mm. working a lot with shame and the inner critic, as I have been doing, I think there's something really interesting about when we turn anger in towards ourselves and when we turn outwards and pot potentially the idea of anger as something of an antidote or a necessary step um, towards uh, balancing that. So talking a bit yeah. about the fight and freeze responses, um, trauma responses as well. And then we were going to talk a bit intersectionally as well, right? And that, that kind mm -hmm. of all interrelates as well, gender and anger, but also who, yeah. get, who gets to who gets to be angry, who gets to express anger, and whose who's anger mm -hmm. it's, is yeah, too dangerous to even, to even express. Mm. Um, or, or in the expression of anger, they become silenced. Mm. Mm. Right, so dear listener, um, so we'll get going. Well, we've already got going, but we'll mm -hmm. carry on going. We'll go some more. Yeah. So um, first of all, let's talk about the difference between reacting and non-reacting anger. So yeah. um, as we've been talking about recently on podcast, dear gentle listener, we've been talking about the four Fs a lot, haven't we? So oh, yes. uh, fight, f fight, flight, freeze, form. Yeah. Um, and that they are... Uh, responses to um, they are like sympathetic nervous system responses to something which is a danger mm -hmm. something which uh, yeah. puts us a threat something mm. which puts us at our body senses puts us at risk um, and in the first instance this can be something which w when we're feeling stressed about something or when we're just responding to something it's our body's way of taking over to protect us and prevent us from being harmed and it's the sympathetic nervous system jumping up and down on the sofa just yelling and yelling and yeah. yelling so not uh, right. and like to do, <laughs> do something. something something's not right something's not react yeah. react 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 yeah. um and that can happen in the first instance but it can also happen um uh, there can also be memories of and uh, ref and uh, reflections of um, that initial kind of that initial response, that initial sense of risk and harm at a later date, and that's something that you've been writing a lot about, so Angel, which is so useful. And you've been bringing it into the podcast; it's really useful. Mm -hmm. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So yeah, so we uh, learn CPTSD, and and yeah, and I, again, I always see it as a spectrum because I think. If yeah. you look at a lot of um, great writers on conflict, um, if you look at a lot of Buddhist mindfulness writing, it talks about this stuff too. It's clearly quite a human thing to get sort of mm. stuck in certain of these four F responses as our habitual go-to. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's not really just relevant to people with PTSD or complex PTSD that we all as a child learn these different kind of strategies and which ones are the go-to for us or the safe enough way of surviving the stuff that happens i mean to be honest my argument would be pretty much everyone experiences forms of intergenerational trauma you're bloody lucky if you can escape it and again and coming back to neoliberal capitalism we live in a very non-consensual very traumatizing world where a lot of the stuff that happens to kids just isn't okay and it's very normalized um so anyway exactly the, yeah so i i think a good way into thinking yeah. about us dear listener is to think about the four f's mm -hmm. and if you react in a way which is um if you to to notice if you are a if you are reacting to something anything yeah. if you're a fight flight fight, flight fawn freeze 
and notice whether it's a pattern or not. Pattern or not. Like if you if you take that as like a starting point, if you take your body and what's happening in your body as a starting point, it might be a useful piece of string to pull on yeah. to see where that takes you. And that's the in Meg John's got a brilliant post on this at rewritingtherules.com. Um, uh, trauma um, trauma one hundred and one. I think it's called. Yeah, it? the CPTSD yeah. one hundred and one. Yeah. Yeah, mm. um, some really useful stuff there to see where it might take you. But for the purposes of um, of this podcast, mm. obviously, um, fight might be a a reacting response that we might have. So if we um, if our body is like taking over, the sympathetic nervous system mm. is jumping up and down, saying react, react, react. Notice whether you are what your pattern is there yeah and actually um, um i really like pete walker who writes about cptsd suggests that fawn and fights are on a continuum and what mm. i was talking about earlier about turning anger into yourself or turning it outwards really re relates there so if you're at the fawn mm. end of the spectrum which i very much am <laughs> um, mm. then you're much more likely under this threat the sense of a threat whether that's emotional or physical to go into mm. that appeasing people pleasing just trying to do mm. anything to stop that person being angry because people being angry at you or cold towards you um, or distant is inc feels incredibly threatening and you just want to do anything to make it go away whereas if you're mm. the high fight end of that spectrum you're much more likely to lash out blame others try and control mm. others behavior that's what you've learned as a child worked to stop mm -hmm. people being threatening towards you um, so mm. it's really helpful to think about where you're at on this spectrum um, and as, as we talk about later sort of to th maybe to start thinking about balancing that a bit if you find you're more at one end of the spectrum or the other um, flight and freeze um, are the other two but we won't really talk about those so much in this episode but I'm sure we'll come back no. to them um, but again those are kind of, you can be seen as two ends of a spectrum flight at the very much like do something now and freeze at the kind mm. of stop doing everything um, kind of end so they what is the but what what here is the difference between reacting and non-reacting well reactive uh, fights yeah or anger? reactive is is when you're I guess when you're angry as it comes to the sort of being with it if you can be angry and just feel that feeling then mm. you're not being reactive you're stay you're able to stay with that feeling hold it in the kind of space we've been talking about in the the, yeah. the slowness episode the reactive is when it's unbearable and you have to do something with it you know so that yeah. anger comes up and it's like oh sh if you're fawn it's like oh shit it's not safe for me to be angry i can't be an angry mm. person because then i'll i'll lose everything so i'm going to quickly mm. turn it in towards myself and blame and shame myself and mm -hmm. it's all going to go inwards whereas at the fight end you're immediately going to react by putting it onto somebody else i don't want to feel this i'm gonna lash out it's all, all everybody else's fault and and it, the reactive yeah. thing is you're yeah you're reacting and doing something to avoid to actually avoid being with the feeling so in a sense mm. you know anger is the cure for violence and aggression <laughs> because if you can be with it and not not repress it and not active it out then you know then then it's safe enough it's the it's the sense yeah. that the anger is really unsafe that is what res results in us pushing it all in or, or pushing it all yeah. out I guess mm. this is where like the idea of like anger management comes from yeah. stuff, doesn't it and I was actually doing some my hair my god i was actually doing some reading sorry i'm looking at myself in the webcam um my i was doing some reading yesterday about a post i'm doing for bish about um domestic violence prevention programs mm. and 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 per, per, uh, programs focused on perpetrators uh and one of the things that i mean it's a very under-researched area and not enough work's been done into it which mm. is uh 
a shame. Uh, but one of the things that practitioners have kind of worked on is uh, some kind of idea uh, built around the idea of um, timeouts. Yeah. Um, so you probably know about this, but just the idea that um, you you and again on another podcast we talked about this like surfing the urge of a of a feeling yeah. just noticing like the early sparks of a feeling and knowing when you need to be with anger rather than be angry at someone rather Absolutely. than expressing your anger at someone so, and so mm. yeah so um go on just so much of that that i want to pick up on because i think that's a reason yeah. a big reason for us why this podcast is so important because the domestic abuse rates have just shot up um under the pandemic yeah. for a start so the the kind of answer to how do we deal with anger is really really relevant and of course just so many mm. people's go-to is going to be well don't feel it or try and get rid of it try and eradicate it trying to avoid it and that's actually the worst possible and then also yeah. what you were saying speaks to what i was saying afterwards is that part of the reason so little research is done on perpetrators is because as a culture we still tend to go to blame the victim and focus all our work on how you know, often women can not put themselves in those situations rather than on the people who are doing the stuff to those to those um, survivors of domestic abuse. Yeah. 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 Um, again, that was something that made me angry yesterday, mm -hmm. realising that different kind of anger. Yeah. Anyway, um, so this ep this episode isn't about how to manage anger in in that situation that we're kind of talking about anger in a slightly bigger kind of more philosophical term but the but there is the, there are some if you're wanting we're not giving people hot tips on how not to express anger remj but it's about being with anger and how we might do that but yeah um, and all the feelings you know it's this is just yeah. what we say about all feelings is that the real trick is to find that potential to be be with them without repressing them or acting them out because that's the dangerous thing to do with them and again a lot of yeah. anything can come out in that fight kind of response like for people who really struggle to feel fear they they may well lash out when they're frightened for people who mm. who can't stay with the feeling of shame which is a really hard one to stay with you know that's why mm. that's why sort of public shaming and call outs is a really tricky area for me because it's like if you're going to put someone in more shame they're likely to just get more defensive and lash out mm. um and that doesn't really help with with whatever you're trying to address so it's that's why we have to think about this so so carefully is like how can we enable people to to be in the feelings that they're having without going to the um, acting out or the repressing place. Exactly, it's about finding ways for anger <clears throat> to be um, to be expressed in a way that isn't destructive. Yeah. Uh, and that is constructive which we'll talk about a bit when, when we get to the politics bit. and i think because as a um, culture we're so bad you know it's the negative the so-called negative feelings that we're told we shouldn't be expressing so as kids most mm. of us get that message that it's not okay or not safe to express anger um or to have it you know it's it's really repressed and denied um therefore mm. either we'll probably go one way or the other either to feeling like we mustn't ever be anger angry or mm. the other way to like it, it comes out all the time because it's been so repressed yeah mm. yeah, yeah, yeah so um shall we move shall we talk about inside out yes. which we talk about every time we talk about feelings so inside out is a pixar film that everyone we think everyone should watch no shoulds no should stories mm. but you should all watch this <laughs> it's so good uh, but be prepared uh, to cry a lot goofball island <laughs> Anyway, I've not yeah. watched it that many times. I don't remember everything. <laughs> the dismantling of Goofball Island is one of the saddest things ever depicted on screen, I'm just going to say. 
I have such a bad memory for things. I'm like, I'm during the pandemic, everyone's like, well, watch new things. I'm like, I've got such a bad memory. I can watch old things, and <laughs> nice. it's you know, it's great. What happened in this episode, Inspector Morse? I have no idea. Oh, it's I've seen Morse, it seven though. times. He gets angry sometimes. Uh, he does. Mm. Um, let's not talk about that. <laughs> so, um, so in Inside Out, there are uh, like five core emotions: joy, sadness, anger, uh, disgust, and fear. Yeah, I think that's the ones, aren't they? Yes, um, I have watched it recently. Yeah, and I just I had to read the plot again to remind me this morning. Um, and in uh, Inside Out, joy and sadness um, get detached, don't they, from the rest of the feelings? Yes, yeah, they get kind of uh, cast out. I mean, the, the idea and is that, that they want to cast out sadness because they feel like they've got the message that it's not okay to be sad, um, yeah. the person that That's the emotions right. reside in, uh, Riley. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, well, joy gets cast out as well by mistake because um, they were yeah. really, they were trying to be all joy and no sadness. That's right. And mm. you can't do that because you need sadness as much as you need joy. Yes. This is um, the message of the film. So <laughs> that's the message of the film. Then anger takes over and then uh, it's a disaster for a while and then it's a happy ending. Yeah, well, this is, is nice. it, this imbalance, isn't it? And I guess that's what's happening yep. often with these survival strategies as well. Um, that, that that's what we're learning is some of the emotions are not safe to experience or express. So we, we do actually cast them out and um, that leaves us with a limited array um, we don't it's like it's like painting without the full palette of colors right yeah mm. but the exactly so um i was kind of thinking about so anger was kind of um represented as somebody you know so all of these emotions even fear disgust uh, uh and anger were, were they they're not seen as positive or negative mm. they are yeah. just there's nothing there's no inherent like value um value placed on them that they all are potentially useful yeah. and they can give us like useful information or do really useful important. things for if, us if, if, well they're vital i mean you, we see the yeah. entire inner we see the entire psyche collapse basically without any of them yeah so what would happen to us if we just disavowed anger all of the time if we were like if if there was a inside out too <laughs> if we just said okay anger you have to just go sit over there we don't listen to anger anymore we only listen can, to joy sadness i can sadness, speak to this very easily fear, because disgust. welcome to my world you know like yeah. this actually happened to me although a sadness was pretty much cast out as well and fear didn't get a very good i'm not sure if i discussed but um I think um, this is really the work I've been doing around the inner critic. I think that if you cast mm. out anger, if you're not allowed to feel angry, you can almost mm. imagine like this, like the little character in Inside Out gets cast out into the, the ocean somewhere and it's, mm. it turns into a giant monster that just puts it all back on you. So if, yeah. you, if you try and get rid of anger, you know, it, you become only able to be angry with yourself and blame yourself for everything um so mm. this would be one of the vital reasons why anger or the inner critic or however you want to conceptualize it needs to be brought back into mm. the system because then you can balance that and you can be able to feel anger out um the it, you know it, it leaves you as well with no boundaries because if you're kind well, of that's the thing yeah if, because if you're angry with yourself then you would want to let other people walk all over you you feel like it's mm -hmm. okay to be hurt you should be hurt rather than actually being able to sort of have those boundaries and discern 
you know what kind of behaviors from others are okay and what kind of ones aren't it sort of leaves you yeah. leaves you without boundaries really um yeah. in inside out the anger was talked about as having like as being somebody who really cares about justice yeah. and that's the thing isn't it that yeah. if someone is treating us unjustly or non-consensually or not fairly or um uh or not even not seeing us mm. then without anger we could it's we can't form we can't form a boundary and say hey no yeah and, no. and what you may find as well is that sometimes it does come out like under extremes you do flip mm. and you do manage to yeah. be angry out but at those times it's really uncontrolled you know it is very reactive um yeah and then you perhaps then feel a lot of shame afterwards so it's kind of all repressed again it's, it's just really unbalanced is is how it well, goes <laughs> I think that's the thing, and the thing that we'll always talk about throughout this is that um, with anger, um, there is a fine line between anger and violence and aggression, mm. and sometimes the expression of anger uh, can be something which um, is violent, or which you might not realise is violent, but which other see people see as violent well, and experience Especially because of the way our culture is around it, is it can be, again, that... that somebody's expression of anger that's a really legitimate way of doing it is still felt by somebody else as like really too yeah. much because we're so messed up around it and that often when we're speaking across gender differences or class differences or race differences that can be particularly hard because in some yeah. contexts it's much easier you know it's it is more welcome to express anger in a, maybe a fairly heated way and in other contexts it's really not okay to do that and when you're speaking across those differences that can be super tough well i mean th that's we'll talk about the intersectionality mm. we need to stop saying we're going to talk about something later but, um, <laughs> but Audre Lord speaks about this in um, her essay the uses of anger yeah i how, have not read um, this i'm so excited it's in the same volume as the uses of the erotic. It's yeah. in Sister Outsider. Awesome, you I can also it. it is also available online, but again, Sister Outsider, I've got it as a an ebook on, on Google Play and I kind of go to it. Oh, what would Audrey Law say about this? Mm. And she says lots of wonderful things. And basically, um, there is she talks about how um, uh, it was basically not okay for women of colour uh to express their anger yeah um at you know particularly in in um uh white dominated feminist movements of the 70s and 80s that audrey lord was speaking mm. in particularly in academia um might read some there's a couple of useful quotes from this i might try and bring please up, do but, i was going to um, say as well for those who are wanting a recent analysis of this i think alison phipps's new book around feminism goes into very much this territory of like the, the people who have critiqued the mainstream white feminism over the years, like people of colour, lesbians, uh, trans women, have, have, you know, all experienced this, this trouble of like this kind of nice feminism and them being yeah. portrayed as the kind of angry, difficult, you know, you should be quiet and, and not, be, not be angry. Well, this is a quote that really explains that really nicely. So um, she's uh, giving examples here of times where she's um, uh, uh, been angry and, and how it's been received. So mm. uh, she says, I speak out of direct and particular anger at, at an academic conference and a white woman says, tell me how you feel, but don't say it too harshly or I cannot hear you. 
Um, mm. But is it my manner that keeps her from hearing or the threat of a message that her life may change? Yeah. So um, there is two things going on there, I think. There's, the, there's how, we are, how we are programmed to respond to anger whenever we see it. Mm. So, uh, and again, uh, or in the same essay, she talks about this, how, you know, if we've grown up with anger, particularly uh, patriarchal anger, mm. uh, and told that we're not good enough or we're doing something wrong and that we fear that all of the time, then our, our instinct might be when we're seeing someone expressing anger towards us, our instinct might be to go to like a fear place yeah. and go to a place where we can't hear it because we ourselves are reacting. Mm. But if we can rather than once we've finished doing our reacting if we can stay with the feeling and try to process it mm. what all joe lord here is saying that actually anger is really really vital information and insight yeah. and it's something that we really need to be able to process yeah so the, the one of the opening lines to this is my response to racism is anger i've lived with that anger ignoring it feeding upon it learning to use it before i laid my visions to waste for most of my life once i did it in silence afraid of the weight my fear of anger taught me nothing your fear of that anger will also will teach you nothing also yeah so it's the we as we've been talking about we can't disavow it we can't throw it away but also we can't just we also just can't we that doesn't mean that we accept a completely unfiltered completely unbridled anger all of the time which might feel dangerous it's the mm. the precise way that we can learn to express anger that is intensely useful exactly powerful and can and can be empowering as well crucially exactly and i think yeah this is why i definitely want to i'm going to be writing some more about shame and then maybe we will want to talk that, about that here as well because i guess shame is real, really anger turned in and i think that's part of the problem that's happened in happening in these kind of conversations where where somebody's anger cannot be heard is that mm. the the kind of um when when you've lived with shame so much of your life the idea of having to sit with the shame of being the bad guy you know in this scenario mm. is just so intolerable that you know that again it gets pushed out onto the person who's angry rather than yep. heard um so it's so vital that we learn how to sit with both anger and shame so that we can come well, along is... so that we can come alongside in those moments and share the anger rather than defending against the anger and actually doing a double whammy on the person who's finally brave enough to ex express it mm. that something's not okay here and then they're getting shut down this is what we so often do in response to to that is to deny minimize victim blame and defend ourselves because we don't it's just intolerable to sit with that shame or that anger that it would bring up in us well, and we have to learn how to do so this is why it's so mm. important to be slow and to introduce gaps which we talked mm. about in our last episode for yeah. patrons um is that we have to be able to build that in because i think throughout much of our day mm. we might be reacting without even realizing it and you know and reacting isn't necessarily um, that's not necessarily a bad thing but we need to make space for it mm -hmm. and if we're if in if we live with someone or we spend a lot of time interacting with someone and we're just constantly reacting at the other person we're never really hearing them yeah. or listening to them and so um, and so in, we're also never really listening to ourselves and also mm. there's no opportunity for learning and there's no opportunity for growth yeah. unless we're able to do that so that's why we've got to try to build in um gaps and slowness mm. and to make space for reaction so that we can we can notice that we're reacting so if someone were to i've certainly had this where um people have been pissed off at something i've written mm. and 
um, that weren't trolls and weren't trying to harm me, but you know, I've said, hey, you've got this wrong. Can you think about doing this mm. um, better? And my initial reaction is, you know, double down or fuck off. Mm. You know, I'm completely right about this. How dare you say that I've got something wrong? And then, so long as I'm having that reaction by myself, yeah, um, which might be like fear and anger and sadness. And then I come back to it and I was like, actually, they've got a point now. I'm going to do some more reading about this yeah. and check in with them about this. And then I've learned something. And so if we can, if we can divest ourselves of the shame that goes with yeah. um, those things, that's the, that's the really, I think, really important, really for me, important. really important work. But it's also like a, a big if, because I think it's, so, yeah. it's such a hard one to stay with, um, the shame really really complicated um and again it comes back to the neoliberal capitalism culture that we were talking about before like it literally is premised on t on you know teaching people that they're lacking there's something wrong with them they're a failure mm. um so we're, we're drenched in that which makes it really hard to sit with this stuff and again there's this real sense that if you do anything wrong then you're a terrible person that's where we have to mm. really we have to really like disconnect that um sense that 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 that, that for, you know bad behavior from bad person i think so that we can sit with the fact we fucked up and this is the issue in feminism is like you've got a whole bunch of people whose entire movement is based on the ways that they've been hurt by patriarchy but then somebody mm. comes along and says you're hurting us you know you're hurting black women mm. or you're hurting trans women mm. or um disabled women working class women all of the ones who've been excluded from mainstream mm. feminism right and um mm. and you know it's it's double down you know, how can you tell me you know who's who's um been victimized who's been marginalized that i'm the bad guy it's like nobody mm. wants that but if we can all, if we can all get to the place of recognizing both our um, potential to be the oppressor and the oppressed. And this is what um, Laverne Cox talks about really nicely: is that you know we all have those capacities in in us to be both. Um, and, mm. um, yeah, we need to change the wider culture though to to enable people to sit with those things rather than that idea that you have to present yourself as all good and no bad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, which. I, I'm lost now as, as to which part of the which part of the notes we're going to because there's another there's <laughs> another thing to say there about movements. Yeah. So how um, by how this this energy that that we could, of anger can be tapped into. So mm. the again, Audrey Lord talks about a, a symphony of anger, which I think is like a beautiful yeah. um, phrase, and she uh, says that she deliberately says it's not a cacophony of anger; it's a symphony mm. of anger of of women who have been um, uh, ignored and made invisible and oppressed and have rights denied um and i'm not going to read the quote out but that's the general gist of it yeah um but that um but that is potentially really powerful and also um judith butler's been talking about this look mm. at me name dropping today judith butler's been name uh, talking about this in uh, her latest book about uh, non-violence yeah. and she's been talking about how she sees um, rage being channeled into modern day movements really effectively, mm. like Black Lives Matter mm. and Me Too movement is, uh, they're both not by, of their essence, non-violent movements. Mm. And, um, but it is anger that is driving them. Yeah. Anger at um, injustice and powerlessness. And, but people coming together in a symphony of anger yeah. to say, this is no good. And actually it, 
it re it's it's a, a fight that's still um, that's still ongoing, and uh, it's you know, but they but and politics is looking quite depressing generally at the moment. But certainly, Me Too and Black Lives Matter have really shifted mm -hmm. um, where we are uh, politically, like. Um, uh, racism and uh, sexual violence against women are certainly things we're talking way more about yeah. than we were 10 years ago. And I think getting on board with those movements, it's about this, this move from like seeing this thing out there and maybe feeling shame about your own culpability, you know, how you've been part mm. of those systems and then turning that into rage against that system and, join and joining the symphony you know, rather mm. than staying kind of against it as as it being threatening, and the what's in, what's required for that is that capacity to sit with these really difficult feelings of particularly of anger in and an anger out. Um, when we can tolerate when we can tolerate that feeling, then we can become part of the symphony. When we can't tolerate that feeling, that's when we go into reactivity, either in defensive mode or kind of just freezing and immobile. Well, I think that's how we need to be able to support each other mm. around this kind of stuff, isn't it? That you know, I um, I have a lot of fear around this. So I would say that my that I that my the thing that polices my uh, what I do with anger is fear. Mm. Um, and you know, what is it I do next? So, just small examples of this are um, you know, I get angry about uh, uh, fascists uh, um, and. Uh, Coming in, so I live in London, like fascist marches in town, mm. and uh, I, I want to go on anti-fascist mar uh, marches. And I think it's really important, and there have been opportunities for me to go on them, but I've, I'm too afraid of it. Mm. Partly because I know what those fascist men are like. Cause, um, uh, you know, uh, I've grew up around some of them, yeah. um, and so you know, I know what that kind of represents to me in terms of in my story of like my gender. Mm. Um, but also that that kind of fear prevents me from doing it. So I guess that's the uh, I think a useful way for me to think about how I'm prevented from using my anger. Sometimes it's if I fear something, and mm. I know that that's like a kind of a reaction. And again, this is something that I've just learned from Audrey Lord um, about this: is that um, that being able to think about that fear for me and to be able to have conversations about my fear about things about this with other people which I have had does help you mm. know so on the anti-fascist march thing people have said well you know actually the police get in the way and there's no way ever, anything ever happens and you know we're all there together so we can all look after each other and mm. you know so at some point I will go to one and I'll feel that sense of uh, that I can use my anger in a way um, to, uh, to call out something which I think is um, horrible and hateful uh, but I can feel safe enough to do it with all the other people so that is the mm. the joining the symphony the thing that prevents me joining the symphony often is fear I think yeah and that's something that I think we can maybe we can all have conversations about that uh, if we're quite honest with each other I think yeah I think it's really important mm. um, so um, where next MJ I'm lost now. <laughs> Are we ready to get to a bit more about the shame and anger bit? I mean, I already mentioned this a little, but I can say a little bit more about the move from shame to anger and why I think it's mm -hmm. important. Yeah, so I noticed recently, like, yeah, the, the, the feeling I'm definitely struggling the most to stay with is shame. It feels mm. so, so hard to be with. And then, of course, everything I do is to try and avoid it makes it louder. 
Um, so tr I'm trying to do that work of making this big space that can hold the shame and being up for staying with it when it when it flickers up and this idea again like with, ang with anger in or anger out you know if you can stay with it at the flicker point rather than when it's gone to a flame or the flame point before it's gone to a fire it is easier mm. if you get used to being with the smaller versions of it then it can become more tolerable when the really big versions hit um, albeit it's totally okay to just really struggle with it for a while because these are mm. really really hard feelings but what I noticed was you know staying with with shame a little enabled me to move a little closer to well, wh where are the these feelings of shame lodged like what kind of memories bring it up what kind of people would I not want to run into because I would feel swamped with shame around them and I noticed mm. like so so many of them were people who've hurt me um, or situations where I got hurt um, like situations of bullying and situations of um, sexual violence and it just really occurred to me just you know how much of the the shame that that uh, should sh should th those people should those people should certainly feel regret and certainly th those mm. those people were the ones who did the bad thing not me um, but I'm mm. like carrying their shame and it really that's where the shame shifted for me into anger was like oh my god how much I'm carrying that's other people's mm. you know that somebody's done badly to me but because of this way. Mm that we're encouraged then to victim blame and I'm encouraged to take that as the survivor. You know, it's, it's mm. still lodged on me. I'm still carrying this weight that's really somebody else's mm. to bear. And th the rage then moved to much more of a, a grief and a sorrow because, you know, that real sense of like, that's what happens everywhere. You know, that is what, mm. that is what Me Too is all about, is just how much of the shame of this terrible behavior mm. gets lodged in the survivors and you know um not not in the perpetrators of it um so i guess what i'm saying is that something something about rage being this really important step in that process that if, yeah. if you are somebody who's um you know got quite vivid trauma experiences and is carrying a lot of shame which is a big part of trauma it may be that being able to move into a more outward focused rage um, mm. is part of that process and, and it may keep moving and that's what emotions do mm. you know when we are able to feel all our feelings they move th sort of through them um, you know you do notice they pass more easily they don't get so stuck in one mm. place and it, it felt really beautiful um, as well as painful that move from through to rage and then through to grief of just that sense of collective um, pain mm. and you know collected and then collective to other movements as well where it's not me who's directly implicated but just like yeah the, the number it does on all of us when the thing that we speak out against that really is not okay non-consensual behavior and violent behavior of any time mm. when us speaking out against it um, becomes the very thing that we then get shamed for and shut down for so we just we've we've experienced the violence or the non-consent and then we've experienced mm. a further non a f further violence and a further non-consent on being silenced and being blamed for the very thing that hurt us well that's the thing that is that black lives matter and me too is all about it's about accountability isn't yeah. it and it's about being people seeing the harm that's happening so it's it's so there's the the the, for so many people have uh, not been heard mm. when um, 
they reported or called someone out or you know said some said that somebody has has harmed them, and that doubling down has uh, has has that kind of is the is the secondary way of um, silencing people and making people feel powerless mm. and um, and so there is like a a rage at that too I think yeah. and I think that what so what we're getting with me too in, in, the, in the way that you're talking about there is this symphony of um, anger mm. and how useful it is to finally to be to be heard as well as people being um, held accountable um, and it's about and so it's the it's the use of anger there is is finally uh, has finally been helpful yeah. um, because people have been saying it all together at a point where it was heard but it took yeah that that symphony that chorus of people being angry at the same time about the same exactly. thing to do it and so um, that's a really useful way of thinking about it as, as something that can be mobilized and it's micro um, level to macro level right so that yeah mobilizing it mm. on a big scale and that again helps people individuals to feel more able mm. to say oh hang on that wasn't okay what happened to me you know a lot of people have only even been able to conceptualize what happened to them as a form of sexual violence because of these kind of movements that have labeled it as mm. such because it was so normalized beforehand um, mm -hmm. but on the on an individual level and then interpersonal level you know going from that shame place to the rage place and maybe even to the sadness place um can enable us to have boundaries you know so when we're in that shame place you know we know that we're a bad person and people get to treat us however they want you know when they tell us mm. it's our fault we say okay that must be true when we can get mm. to the rage place we can get to a kind of like oh no it's not okay for people to hurt me in this way even yeah. if I'm part of it, part of the system too, and blah blah blah, you know, it's like in this situation, it's, it's it's just never okay for somebody to violate my consent or to, you know, say mean things about me or whatever it is, and we can hold that boundary. Um, so I think that anger does an important thing there too, um, and 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 if you can move through it, I think you can get to a point. I think people are very scared of the rage because they worry about being aggressive or violent. But I think that moving through mm. the feelings in that way enables you to much more calmly be and much more clearly and calmly know this is OK, this isn't OK. Mm. Whereas um, when you're caught in blame and shame and like really hot, angry feelings that, that are kind of you're, you're oppressing them and acting them out, um, it can be really unclear. You can feel like you're in this fog, you know, of... Um, and mm. of lack of clarity about what isn't and isn't okay behavior whereas moving through this process can get you to a point of much more calm clarity where you can speak kind of truth to power i suppose well the difficulty as well that i think on a, again on a, a micro level is um to uh, experience you know fight as a reaction or, mm. or to experience whatever or to experience form as a reaction but then to understand once the reaction's over you know 20 to 60 minutes later let's say and the parasympathetic nervous system's kicked in and you're chill the way that we then process those feelings can then might then it might be then difficult for us to think actually you know a bit of anger here might actually be useful so can i tap into that in mm. a way consciously mm. in order to say no you've set over a boundary or no you mustn't treat me this way or no you mustn't treat another people this way yeah. but at that point it's really difficult to do that isn't it because if we've already like if we've got rid of the reaction and we've learned that we shouldn't be in any of those 
that that, that we don't want to be experiencing anger in that way because if we feel it in us and our experience of anger tells us that it's not okay then we're then not able to potentially utilize something which could potentially very very useful information for ourselves and for other people i wonder if it's like um you know love uncommon's emotion thermometer that we often talk about here mm. this idea of you know if you put it on a scale of one to ten um you know we're not saying at all the idea is to get through all of the emotions out the other side into some kind of cold rationality and only ever interact with people from that place that would not be what i'm saying i would say it's never a good idea to when if you, if you see that scale of one to seven if you're in seven to ten time out you know bringing the system yeah. back you know yeah like it may take an hour if you're able to sit with it you know it may take yeah. days or weeks it may take a year to be ready to have some conversations that's okay for whatever the one is it will have its own time frame um mm -hmm. but it's when you're in you've got it down to the um you know i think spe speaking out of sadness out of anger out of fear in a really like open clear way is is wonderful and probably much more much more valuable than trying to speak out of a numb you know no no emotion kind of place um but i yeah. think you know you know for yourself where you're at in that where you're you know mm. definitely if you're in a reactive place you're probably not going to be heard and probably going to shame another person they're probably going to get defensive but i think there's a there's a, a sort of power to speaking out of those kind of tough emotions if they're at that you know they're still in the the mid-range yeah yeah I and mean, if we're talking about relationships here, mm. then it's about it's the difference between um, speaking when you're absolutely furious with someone, and then speaking with someone when you're really pissed off with someone. <laughs> um, I guess there's like you know, or just being able to kind of exhale and say, okay, at the moment my feeling is anger. Mm. I'm feeling this anger because you said you would do this and you didn't, and it, and that's meant that I've had to do this. You know, just kind of. To be able to clearly make somebody accountable in that way is like this precise use mm. of anger that Audre Lorde's talking about here more politically, but it's um, being able to tune into it and being able to kind of use it as an energy means that we then don't go to that place where um, anger's completely dissipated and we don't yeah. want to kind of go back to it because we think it's scary, but then we're also not in that super angry uh, kind of fighting mode where everything we're doing can really come across as being very violent and aggressive and too yeah. difficult to it's, be around. It's really hard S in interpersonal relationships because often we've got so much baggage and then often there are these other intersections in play that can make it really hard either to be angry or to hear another person's anger. But I think if you have a safe enough kind of relationship container, you know, if you, you have mm. the trust built that we talked about on a, one of our podcasts and you can hold it, then the aim of those conversations is really to hear and be heard you know mm. sometimes both people are going to be angry right and it's like mm. you know it's how can we create a structure around to have those conversations where the aim is just to really to really hear the other person and to really be heard ourselves and i've seen those conversations mm. done really well and yeah certainly mm. at the times they're doing really well it's very important for anger to be voiced um but the way it comes across is not as a it's like is your anger trying to crush another person that's not okay you know it's not, that's where it's gone no. to aggression or violence is it trying to say this is how i'm feeling and i have a right to be heard in how i'm feeling yeah mm. that's that's really legitimate and really important 
and and it's worth you know recognizing that it, given our culture around anger that can be very hard for people to hear and they may need a while <laughs> to, to do so i mean the difficulty here and the, and the reason why there one of the reasons why there's just so, um so much abuse in uh relationships mm. um is that it's about it's about policing and also enforcing and also extending your boundaries isn't it and so and if we're allowing for if boundaries only ever get extended or enforced when someone's in anger mm. then what we learn in a relationship is that we can only ever be angry to stick up for ourselves yeah. and some people might be more inclined to anger in order to get what it is that they want than another person so yeah. one so how abuse would happen is that that we're saying it's okay for one person to be angry but and the other not and the other person is just kind of around the outside of the fence just like trying to find a little bit of space for themselves and to create mm. a, sm a smaller and ever increasingly well and ever decreasingly uh, smaller amount of space where they can be safe yeah. uh, yet the other person is anger 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 so it's about then the, what we need to do to bring consent into relationships around anger is to enable both people to be able to um, to be able to um, talk about their boundaries in ways that have I guess of the where they are both equally able to express that using that anger mm -hmm. um, both people are basically able to be as angry as each other in a way that is that is can be uh, safe within that container exactly but I guess the it's the unfairness it's the unfair opportunity for people to be angry is what results in um, really damaging harmful relationship dynamics and that's why i think you know knowing this stuff about yourself is super important because then you can be you know like yeah i know as part of the fawn for me you know it is mm. other people's um hot anger or cold anger can feel just intolerable mm. because it puts you back in that childhood place where it actually was a dangerous thing so you know it really does feel like a life or death um yeah. So, you know, to be in a, a, an everyday relationship with somebody who is going to get hot or cold anger quite a lot, or even at all, perhaps, is mm. going to be really, really challenging because, you know, try as I might, I'm, I'm not going to be able to stop myself trying to control that and trying to make sure it doesn't happen. And then that's going to yeah. be a real problem for the relationship. So the way I see it now is, well, I'm going to go and do this work for a start on hopefully getting to a point mm -hmm. where it's more balanced in me. I'm also going to be really mindful getting into relationships that this is a territory that's hard and just be really open with people about it. And if somebody is a massive fight and they don't and they're not mm. aware of it um, or they're not doing much work around it, then that's probably a no go zone. Um, but also the relationship yeah. container, you know, actually, I do have a couple of really good mates who that is their go to. But because the relationship container of the friendship is such that we're not often put in positions where we're going to like we're likely to trigger each other. It's still yeah. perfectly fine. But, we, you know, and we can be mindful about around that. Um, but it's just is to try and to try and avoid either person, I guess, going into their strategy because that is going to be, take a toll on the relationship if somebody stops being authentic in the relationship and tries to start people pleasing because they're frightened of anger mm -hmm. that's not good for the relationship mm -hmm. or for either person or if the person goes into very sort of controlling behavior because that's their go-to mm -hmm. strategy that's going to be really hard and put those two in combination and that's a particular kind of recipe for disaster that's really um 
it's really important stuff. I think the just what was coming to my mind mm. there as well as to what extent that you know if there's a fight person in a relationship and a form person in a relationship, you know if they're at two ends of a spectrum, mm. to what extent is one person the subject able to you know have control and the other person is ceding that control? It's subject object uh, stuff that Simone de Beauvoir talked about. I mean, in a way, you're both objectifying. One person enables another. Yeah, and that's yeah. that is what Sartre reckoned. His he reckoned either you're always going to objectify yourself for the other, or you're going to objectify mm. the other for yourself. So that's what we're kind of talking about is a, a di that dynamic where one person agrees to be objectified and the other to objectify. But I think it's more complex than that because I don't think people who are in fights a lot of the time feel good either. You know, it's not, they don't no. feel powerful. No. They don't, you know, it feels like everything's slipping away from them. That's why they're continuing to go to that strategy, right? So it's, um, it is super Which complex. Is, well, it's paradoxical, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because the more... Uh, the the more fighty and angry that that person gets um the less they feel that they're getting what it is that they want but the less the other person if they're living with this person can feel that they can give them what oh, they want exactly. because they can't yeah hear them it's um, yeah and you kind of yeah. in that form place you kind of shrink and just get smaller and smaller so you're not much fun to be around which also makes the other person get more and more angry so yeah it's um, yeah it's a really difficult dynamic um and and one that's you know again when you think intersectionally there's crisscrossing of um often gender class race and other things here yeah big mm. time i mean uh, so you know the the messages that men get about being a man say that uh you know we should um not really talk about feelings whatsoever but the only feeling is okay to express would be through hardness and toughness and anger and aggression well, they it's did like, that thing on the bbc you know, show where they asked little girls and boys like what what words can you think of for emotions and the boys were just coming up with all these words for anger and no other emotional mm. state it's really scary yeah <sighs> yeah mm. Um, pretty sure we've talked about that on other podcasts, but um, that that is definitely that. But so that's that would definitely um, happen in within the context of heterosexual mm. romantic relationships as well, particularly where people are living together. But also this plays out um, with uh, same gender couples too. Yeah. Um, but also, but the um, again the the intersectional point of this as well is that there is often a power imbalance in a relationship and. Um, sometimes i guess what from what we were saying earlier sometimes the person who might have um more power in a relationship might might be somebody who well what do we think about that who is it more okay who who is it more okay to show is it more okay for someone to be angry in a relationship if they have more or less power in the relationship based on they're intersecting oppressions mm. is that or if i just gone down a cul-de-sac there <laughs> well i guess it can feel i think the more power you've got it can feel safer to express anger but i think this, this all this stuff is such a complex combination of like those wider cultural pieces and the more individual pieces because of course you yeah. know you get little boys who grow up yeah learning that it is acceptable for them to be angry but their particular experience of bullying at school or or at home for, for example means that they absolutely can't and they turn into a total people pleaser fawn type you know and you also get yeah. girls who are of course socialized to be pleasing to others as all girls are still but at the same time their particular set of circumstances means that they do develop a kind of fight response um and become a mean girl for example so it's it's not quite yeah. as simple as it's always gendered in those ways yeah mm. yeah it's very yeah it's complex stuff. yeah 
but it's good to be bear in mind gendered socialization because I think it's a big part of this whether you whether you go along with it or whether you resist it it's still a big part of the picture big time mm. um, okay so anger in critic versus critic out have we have done, that. done that one yet? yeah I think, we, yeah. I think we're at the end uh, aren't we <laughs> We've got these very long notes, dear, dear listeners. Which I watcher. will turn into um, an excellent blog post at some point. <laughs> they really are really good. The last one was particularly good. But I guess the um, should we talk about us and just what it is that you know? We had a chat the other day about this, about how um, anger kind of drives a lot of the the uh, work the work that we do. Like it certainly drives. Um, you know, I don't. I certainly don't do what I do for the money. Mm. Um, and there is a sense of you know the that um, a lot of bad sex education, a lot of bad sex advice, a lot of bad relationships advice, the shitty messages we get uh, about relationships and consent and, and power. They anger drives me, mm. and if I see uh, you know I. My response to, and our response to anger isn't to, if we see somebody's, you know, rubbish advice or something unhelpful in the media or something, we don't dunk on it mm. and say, look at this, it's terrible. But we do, our, I think our approach is to be affirmative and try to do good stuff, isn't it? But it's the, it's certainly a thing that um, drives our project and yeah. it's something that when we're getting angry or riled up during a podcast that um, it is something that has like, hopefully a dear listener you're listening to this and you think it does have real we are sincere about the stuff we're talking about yeah I feel (laughs) like it's driven for me from a point of wanting to be a protector or a defender you know with that anger Um, Mm. and it's partly about a lot of my work it feels like I'm almost like talking back to younger versions of myself who I wish I could have protected and defended better and Mm. if I have the chance to protect or defend um, other people through this like if Mm. they to listen to it and realize it's not okay what they're going through and they're able to Mm. um, you know insist on more consensual behavior from others or stop treating themselves so harshly Mm -hmm. like that's really I think the entire (laughs) driving force and it is yeah it is Mm. in a sense then driven by anger isn't it because Mm. it's seeing that stuff and feeling so angry and I am I'm so angry because I just feel like the messages that are given about sex and love are the ones that are most likely to fetch people up having unwanted sex and non-consensual sex and Mm. in really abusive and bullying um, relationship dynamics in all kinds of relationships mm. um, similarly that you know as we talked about with neoliberal capitalism the messages we see, we receive about work are likely to make us really hurt ourselves um, in the mm. ways that we that we that we work um, so or, or, and other people hurt us in those ways and and us not even notice that's happening so yeah it's it's driven by a, an anger at those systems and I suppose there's something about the shift from being angry at an individual person to being angry at mm. a whole system um, and that's a yeah. move I try to make because you know sure I can be angry at this particular person who hurt me or hurt another person but it, it it's that system that they're in that makes it almost impossible for them not to do so like the the world we're in is so non-consensual that to expect that one individual who's never learned anything about it to not engage in non-consensual behavior is you know it's a big ask whereas uh, you know exactly. I can get 
I can feel sad about that happening and angry about the system that person's in. I, I suppose I do get quite angry at people who know this shit and still do it. <laughs> that's that's a bit, but you know, again, I know how hard it is. You know, I'm still I, I know this shit and I still find it really hard to um, not to not be part of it. Definitely. Mm. And I mean, that's the that's the thing is that uh, we can always understand an individual's responses by looking at the culture in which they're in and how and how neoliberalism means that we all because we're all essentially competing against each other as these uh, atomized units mm-hmm. um, that, you know, where that um, that it's that it's that that I'm angry about as well as being I think I can hold. Um, being angry at an individual as well as a system around them but I can also understand where someone's got you know, someone might have some so much at stake that they can't mm. uh, they can't let go of the culture that they're in because they it's only the culture which validates us sorry this is all sounding a bit like meta and um and wishy-washy no but, I think it's uh, really important I think it's part of it I, I came up with a process that I'll be blogging about soon about you know what we can do when we're kind of overwhelmed with blame of the other or shame towards ourselves is and and what i came up with is to kind of work through um you know what's what's your responsibility and what's their response what's on you what's on them what's on mm. the white the relational dynamic between you and what's on the wider context and to be able to hold mm. to be able to hold all of that is really important yeah so it's not it's not saying mm. oh don't ever be angry with an individual only be angry with the system but i think holding the individual within the system is really important to recognize yeah. you know how difficult we all find it to step outside of culture or to do things differently when this is what we've been trained in from the word go well, that's the mm. thing. We're we're angry individuals within a system mm. as well. You know, we all we have systems around us too that um, that 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 we're that we're a part of and we can't detach ourselves from. Mm. But some of the interesting things that Judith Butler was saying again, I've only listened to the podcast and read articles. I've not read her latest book. Mm. Um, she did a really good uh, uh, podcast with politics theory other yeah. um, uh, about. Uh, the uses of non-violence and she was talking about she was kind of critiquing the idea of the self you know being mm. angry at, uh, at another individual is you know we're never really angry at an individual yeah. um, and that you know that person has uh, all, you know, as you were just saying has a system around well, and also this is um, I think this is an important place to go with anger because often when we're angry with others it is because we don't want to look at something too carefully in ourselves um, and yep. it's not again. It's not about eradicate the anger by realizing you're just as bad. But it is like have that anger and recognize. Mm. You know, this is where to me it always goes to this grief place of recognizing how we're all caught up in it. You know, especially in those moments mm. where I find myself being angry out, and then I remember, no, I did do that same thing back in a previous relationship, yep. or you know, while I'm while I'm really on it in this area, I'm not so on it in that area, and I probably do fuck up in that way you know in the way that somebody's just fucked up with me i think that that is a you know you can again hold anger and compassion and empathy without having to get rid of the anger but let Mm. and almost letting it fuel that you know in a way definitely definitely but the the exactly Mm. and so but and and we have to yeah exactly we have to let it fuel it we can't we mm. we can't you know movements and change don't come about entirely through kindness and love and civility that's the i think that's the important like political point here mm. is that anger has to be part of that but you can't just you can't also then um excise anger away from 
kindness. I think it's yeah. I think uh, it's a both and. It's like mm, what does angry? Yeah. Do, you know, don't tell people they must be kind, therefore they shouldn't be angry, or that they must be angry, therefore they can't be kind. It's like what does kind anger look like? What does angry kindness look like? Do you know? Yeah. That, that's that's what's important. Again, there was. A there was a really good bit in the the Judith Butler podcast that I was listening to where they were talking about you know a concrete example of how um, a, about the use of rage is uh, is talking about the the violence uh, against the Nazis in the Warsaw uh, Revolt, mm. um, and so the focus is often on the people who are doing the violent thing, you know, the people um, you know. Uh, smashing in windows or you know in any kind of protest any kind of riot or demonstration mm. focuses on the anger but around each individual who is doing the necessary um violence in these kinds of cases there are several other people who are who are taking care of that person mm. or building a structure in which that person can do that so i think one of the radical things to do is um and this particularly brings in kind of gender here as well one of the radical things to do is to act in ways that are caring and gentle in the in the use of a symphony of anger yeah and i think that is a useful thing that um that men can be doing uh in for example with me too is as well as listening to women uh but being um you know switching roles you know and allowing women to do something that is not typically uh you know meant to be allowed of women to do to be angry and be you know in the streets or on social media or to be in their workplaces or organizing and be angry and that men can be at home you know looking after the kids and cooking and mm. caring for them and supporting them and giving back rubs and foot rubs and things you know i guess there so but, uh, sorry, I'm kind of uh, waffling on now, but you know that. But that energy of anger—not mm. everyone has to be angry or even violent. But there is that energy which is really useful, and it, it moves people forward well, exactly. I think, in a way that is really important and not something. And so, anger is really important. Well, you can support people to too. To um, <laughs> I think that's another thing that you can do if you're not one of the people affected is you know if we think about what our culture normally does which is denying minimizing victim blaming and defending you know if when we hear that somebody who's you know in a group that's not our group um is 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 saying something isn't okay but maybe they're very tentative mm. about it maybe they can't find the anger you know what can we do mm. to do the opposite you know to to make the, to to mm. legitimize their experience to say that really isn't okay and to help them have have the the anger rather than the shame um or mm. if they already are angry you know a good way of hearing it is to think you know what's the opposite of doing denial minimizing victim blaming and defending you know how can i say absolutely you're 100 percent right with that yes you know that definitely did happen and yes it definitely happened for the, the reasons that you say it did um and you know um it's it's not your fault and you know i'm not going to defend the perpetrator Mm. Yeah. Should we leave it there? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for listening and watching. Now we're recording all of our Zoom calls, um, dear watcher, listener. It's the problem with recording our uh, calls for video is that we have to develop a whole set of vocabulary for who our our people yeah. are. Well, it, yeah. Yeah fans no but people who consumers <laughs> make john and justin consumers no i don't like that either at all um engage us with <laughs>
Yeah, okay. I did like Ear Pals, so I'm just going to stay with that. Ear Pals and iPals. Yeah. We're still a podcast, aren't we? We're mostly yeah. a podcast. Yeah. Okay. But I do like that we're out okay, in multiple media. Like, that we do a blog post for each one and a podcast and now video also. I hope that that makes it accessible um, to, to people. All this yeah. wonderful content. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you watch us on if you watch this on YouTube, you'll get the captions that come up, the user gen- the uh, the um, automated captions that come up. So they'll probably be all be wrong. Do they do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, automated captions come up, and you can go in and correct them. Wow, I did not know that. Um, yeah. Oh, gonna go but and have a look at how I they prob- do with neoliberalism. We probably don't have time to go in and correct yeah. them. Yeah. No, but that is partly why I do See, the the blog post for each, so that at least if you're not able to hear or have hearing difficulties you have you can read hmm. well we talked about that as well didn't we because we uh, initially we were talking about doing transcripts but um a transcript of us uh umming and ahhing and kind of feeling our way through um through a podcast wouldn't be as good as uh a blog we don't think so your the blogs that you write are tremendous because they really they they distill a lot of the the thoughts and they put them it kind of reorders them and they're they're really really useful so um um so we hope that that's more uh useful to you than just a transcribed podcast of um of me um, rambling on anyways uh, <laughs> with all of the with all of the vocal tics that we have yeah should we go Thanks for listening. Oh, let's promote uh, social media. Sorry, final. Let's do final round of promotions. You're here anyway. You like you like this, dear listener. This is like everyone. Everyone switched off a long time ago. They're like, oh, the no, no, no. But this, (laughs) no, this is the chemistry. Yeah, you know, this is the chemistry that we're offering, particularly with video. Yeah, you know, like look at us. We're friends. We're having such a great time. Oh yeah, that 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 (laughs) pretense that we're mates having a really good time. (laughs) Hey. I read what you said about me and your slow relationships blog. I know, right? <laughs> Gave me a heart. Oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah. Good. It's very true. Uh, so uh, you can tweet us at Meg, John, Justin. Uh, we're on other social medias, but not really. Uh, remember, next week's episode will be on Patreon. So sign up for that. Patreon.com forward slash Meg, John and Justin. Um, and uh, do subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Mm-hmm. That's good. So if we are we are putting these on YouTube now, so subscribe to our channel, smash the like button, uh, which I've always wanted to say. <laughs> uh, they say that on Navarra Media a lot. Smash the like button because mm-hmm. that helps us with the algorithms and all that oh. stuff. Um, yeah, and uh, our, please also oh download our zines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No one's no one's buying our book. You can buy our zines. Yeah. Uh, like we're available on our website slash publications slash publications uh last thing as well last request please dear listener could you review our podcast on itunes please on apple Podcasts? so please leave us a review you can't really do it for other um you might be able to do it on soundcloud but i think it's only on on the uh apple podcast website but if you go to meg john and justin in the Apple Podcasts website, you can leave us a review and that helps us again with the algorithm. So give us a nice five-star review and if you want to say some nice words about how helpful we are, then that'll be great. Now I'm gonna stop talking. Bye. (laughs) Very good, very good. What was that?
Wow, what else? Poof!